around the throne like an emerald in appearance. So Bible scholars say that the jasper stone John saw refers to actually a clear jewel. Because I know when you look up jasper, you see some orange, you see some red, you see some brown, right? But this was crystal clear. And so we have an example. That's like one of the largest diamonds found. And it's expected to be auctioned off, or maybe it was for like $75 million. Crazy, right? But it, it was supposedly clear like a diamond, And that's what you would expect, right, God to look like. Translucent, reflecting light, beaming, perfect, right, whole, nothing wrong, no no flaw, right? Even Even the most perfect diamonds have flaws, no flaw. And heaven is describing him like that jasper stone and the sardius stone, which was ruby red, and you can see that in the next one. Ruby red sardius stone. It's, all, it's also called the carnelian. Some of you may have heard that. But this represents God as our redeemer. As our redeemer, right? We know the blood of Jesus is the only reason John was in that vision. He was the, that was the only reason. And so God is there represented as our redeemer, And then when you go back into the Old Testament, which you're going to see me do a lot this morning and throughout the whole rest of this series, is we use the Bible to interpret the Bible, remember? So when you go back into the Old Testament and you look for these stones, Israel's high priest wore the jasper and the Cornelian stone on their their chest. And then there was 10 other gemstones. And that was found in Exodus 28, if you want to jot that down and read it later. But each of the 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And just as the high priest wore the tribes of Israel symbolically on his chest, so Jesus, our high priest, carries us Christians on his heart. We are held on the heart of the Lord. And Jasper and Carnelian are also the first and last gems on the breastplate. Isn't that crazy? Respectfully on the high priest's garment. Sorry, not the breastplate. And this description not only reinforces that God is the first and the last, but it also identifies Jesus as God, both perfection and our Redeemer. So there's so much symbolism that John knew what he was looking at. Because he knew Exodus, right? He knew what the high priest wore. He was seeing these colors and he was going, oh, 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 yeah, that's what this means. This is what he's speaking to my heart. Everything, sound and sight, were speaking to John. It was all speaking truth to John. John also indicated that the emerald rainbow circled God's throne. And an emerald is green and it symbolizes life. The rainbow, we know, first appeared to Noah. It was a promise that he would never flood the earth again. Even though the world wants to use it for their symbol, they don't get to. That's a sign of our covenant, right? That's a sign of our covenant. And here they say, scholars say that it could be because the promise of eternal life is guaranteed. So all of these things that John was seeing were comforting to him. He saw God and he was probably scared to death, right? Like says later on that he falls flat on his face. He was scared, but he was also comforted. 
knowing that, he, that God was promising him eternal life. In John 4, 4, going to the next verse, it says, around the throne, oh, you know what? I forgot to mention that. The only thing I could think of that would even resemble an emerald rainbow are the northern lights, right? So I just put that there because I thought, you know what? I don't know. And if you Google, you can see this throne room, artist renditions of a throne room, but I just didn't want to do that. I don't know why. I just wanted you to let the Holy Spirit use your imagination, <laughs> yeah. But that, I thought, was a really great, like, idea of what an emerald rainbow could look like. But anyways, Revelation 4.4, let's go on. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. So 24 you know, we see significance in the colors. Now we're going to start seeing significance in the numbers, okay? 24 elders. The word elder is presbyter or a wise, mature, aged man or woman. And this is significant because what it says to me is humans are represented in the throne room. What? Like you have angels, you have beasts, you have God, you have Holy Spirit, right? You have humans sitting, and he mentioned them right after God, sitting in pro close proximity to the throne room. Wow, we should be like, I cannot believe that you've given us a place right in your throne room, God, right? Because you're included in this. This 24... This 24 is significant most likely because of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? The Jews, the 12 tribes of Israel, the old covenant, they were promised. Even if it doesn't look like they believe in Jesus yet, they were promised. They will believe in Jesus. And then you have the 12 apostles. You have the 12 apostles that Jesus discipled, that started the church, that represented the birthing of the church and the Gentiles. Who are we? We are Gentiles. Raise your hand, everybody, unless you're Jewish of origin. Okay. Gentiles, most of us. So we are represented in the throne room. We see the old and new covenant coming together, and God is faithful. That just says he's faithful. He's faithful to his covenant. He never backs down on his promises. We see them clothed in white garments, and we know from the letters of the churches that this means righteousness, right? We're not righteous because of our own works. We're righteous because of what Jesus did. Jesus gave us those white robes of righteousness. And then the golden crowns, that means victory. We are overcomers. They are overcomers through persecution, through difficulty, and given God's glory and dignity as kings and priests unto our God. Every single one of us, children included, in this room are kings and priests unto our God. He has made us that by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we will learn more about the 24 elders as we see the vision unfold. They're still in the story, and we'll, we'll see what happens with them. But I wanted to point out that this relationship that the elders have with God it's a front row seat. It's a front row seat. They are not stuck behind. They are not hidden, right? They see fully what God the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit are doing to redeem the planet. They see it. 
They see all of it. It's full disclosure. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves. I no longer call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, sometimes the disciples were like, huh? Right? They didn't get the parables. They didn't understand what he was saying. When we read it now, we're like, how could they be so dumb? Right? But we don't have any excuse because we have the Holy Spirit living, breathing inside of us. Right? So what a promise that he gives us everything that he's doing. He tells us everything that he's doing. He is not hiding what he is doing from his children. We are kings and priests, and we've been given a throne in close proximity. You are an overcomer. You are crowned with his glory. Your spirit believes this. Now your body and your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, have to line up with it. We don't walking around, we don't walk around feeling it. We don't, we don't walk around feeling healed all the time, right? Like sometimes my hips hurt because I'm getting old. But that doesn't matter. My spirit is in the presence of the Lord. And my spirit leads me. And my spirit reveals what God has told my spirit, right? I feel like this is a word for some of you. When I was studying this morning, I feel like God wants to make sure that you hear that, that you feel like you've been beat down. You feel heavy burdened. You feel attacked. You feel left for dead, but you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Revelation 4, 5 says, Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And I had to break this up because there's so much in the scripture verse. But at, like I said before, everything John saw and heard and felt, it all revealed God. It all revealed God. The flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder remind us of the encounter Moses had on Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, you can jot that down too and read it later. We'll read one verse, but it says, it tells the account of God's covenant promise to the people that he just delivered out of Egypt. And he told Moses to get them ready, gather them together, consecrate them for three days because I'm too holy. I will kill them if they come near, right? He said, they have to consecrate themselves. And he, you know what I'm saying. He's not killing them to kill them. He's so holy, okay? I had to put that disclaimer out there. <laughs> But they would come down and he would present themselves to him. He would present his promise and his covenant to them. In Exodus 19, 16, it says, So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning and flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountains and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were there in the camp trembled. So we can conclude that this sound and light are expressions of God's majesty, his holiness, his judgment, and his power. It demanded consecration. It demanded a righteous response from his people. And we must have a holy fear of the Lord again. 
We have to. We can't become so entitled and comfortable with this new covenant, right? We're so settled into our new covenant that we can do whatever we want. Jesus is covering us. And that yes, that's true. But God is so holy. And we want to present a holy sacrifice to him and a reverent and a fear of the Lord. It's only because of the blood of Jesus that we can even be a part of this covenant, right? Us Gentiles. <laughs> so in the midst of his majesty, his holiness, his judgment and his power, we find mercy. And that makes us tremble, right? That makes us tremble with the holy fear of the Lord. Continuing in Revelation 4, verses 5, B, I put, (laughs) there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven lamps. Why seven? Right? Some of you may know the number seven is so significant in the Bible. It represents perfection, completeness, and wholeness in the Semitic language and culture. Can you put that next slide up? Because I don't even know how to say it, but that's what it looks like. That's what the number seven looks like. But that is also what the, num- what the, what the word completeness and fullness looks like. Isn't that amazing? Same, same word. It means seven and complete and full. All throughout the Bible, we see that starting in Genesis, when God created the six days, when did he rest? On the seventh. There's such significance here. At the end of the Bible in Revelation, we see the seven lamps and the seven churches and the seven spirits of God. You'll see it all throughout the Bible. The seven gold lampstands represent the seven church. And here the lamps in the throne room were probably on one lampstand. And it was uh, one lampstand typifying the lamp in the tabernacle of Moses. So it really showed the presence of God. And you can show that picture too. There was a lampstand in the tabernacle of Moses that showed God's presence was there. And they kept it lit. And this this lampstand is in heaven representing the Holy Spirit. Both represent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the church and in the presence of God. And here in the throne room of heaven, we see each representative of the Trinity. We see the Father on the throne. We will see the Son, probably next time I preach, because he comes as a lion and he comes as a lamb. And then we see the Holy Spirit here as fire also referred to here as the seven spirits of God. So John is seeing the involvement of each part of the Trinity. And when Jesus speaks to the churches, it also states that the spirit, what the spirit says to the churches, right? So you can see the Trinity shown throughout Revelation. Even though he doesn't make direct reference to it, he, we see the conceptual material needed to later develop the theological thought. So we're going to reference two scriptures in the Old Testament to get a better understanding of the Holy Spirit and the lampstand. And this first one is found in Zechariah, Zechariah 4, 1 through 7. Going too long. I'm almost done. I'll go really fast. So in Zechariah, there's a story of the prophet receiving a word 
from the Lord. And it was in reference to encourage the building of the temple. They were, there was a group of people leaving Persia, and Zerubbabel was supposed to build the temple. And he was meeting resistance. And this is what the Lord said. He said, I, he said what do you see, Zechariah? And he said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold with its bowl on top of it, and its seven lamps on the seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it, and also the two olive trees, one on the right side and one on the other in the left. And when I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? And so the angel who was speaking with me answered, said, do you not know what they are? And he said, no. And in verse 6, he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Tell him, Zechariah. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain And he will bring forth the top stone, who is Jesus. He's the cornerstone, right? He will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Zerubbabel would build the temple. This was a prophetic word to Zechariah. And we see the angel's conversation explaining to him what the lamp represents. It was not by might or by power, but it was by the Spirit The lamp and the fire represents the Holy Spirit. He is able to move mountains. All resistance will give way. Opposition will cease and difficulty will vanish. Not by our own might. Not by our effort. Not by how many days we fast or how much we pray. None of that. It's by his spirit. That's it. We must be filled with his spirit. We must be filled with his spirit. Filled, number seven, right? Completeness, wholeness. We must be filled with his spirit. We can't just take a little spirit, right? We're going to take a little spirit today. I'm going to prayer. We're going to take a little spirit. No, he said complete, full, full of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe we can get a portion of the Holy Spirit. But I think we can choose to live in a portion of the Holy Spirit. Can you get me a tissue, Dion? It's underneath you. I think we can choose to walk in a portion of the Holy Spirit. Because he's not going to force himself on us. Adrian and I had a conversation about that. He's He's not like a demon who will come in and take over. No. He's, he yields to us. He's like, do you want to live this day or do you want me to live this day? Okay, you can. Right? He's not going to come in and possess us. He's going to fill us when we make room for him. Right? The seven spirits of God are also referenced in Isaiah 11.2. The prophet Isaiah is speaking of Jesus, who is the promised Messiah. It says, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Again, talking about Jesus, right? 
and a branch from his root will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And I didn't put this in here, but it says, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Like, can we delight in our fear of him? It's so cool. So the spirit of the Lord rested on Jesus. In Luke 1, the Holy Ghost will come upon you, right? Mary, Mary heard that from the angel. The Holy Ghost would come upon you. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. In Luke 4, Matthew 3, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the spirit descended on him. In the Old Testament, the spirit of the angel of the Lord would get on somebody, and then it would get up. <laughs> it, would, it would rest on someone for, for a moment, for a, a reason, for a job, and then it would get up. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't ever leave, right? Didn't ever go. That's what he's talking about when he talks about the first thing, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. In John three thirty four. for he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Number seven, fullness, complete, without measure, Colossians 1.19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Fullness, number seven, complete, right? Like the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And with that, we see the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of strength, of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. This was the agency of the Holy Spirit resting upon Jesus all of the gifts, all of the fruits, right? And the, the very character of God resting on him. Later on chapter five, we'll see the seven spirits come back again and Jesus has them in his eyes and they're going forth into all the earth and they're reaching us on the earth. And that just shows that we know what happened when Jesus was here. And he said, I'm going away but I'm leaving you something. I'm leaving you someone. He's the comforter. He's the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 22, he says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them, talking to the disciples, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave each of us the Holy Spirit to live in us in all his fullness. And we listed off the seven, right? We aren't, we're not living in the fullness of the Spirit. And I don't want to be critical, but if we were, we would see <laughs> healing. We would see revival. We would see the dead raised. We would see that. So obviously, the fullness of the Spirit is not in here. but he can breathe on us again. He can breathe on us and fill us fully with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Greater measure. It's a full measure, and it is time. We, it, it's time to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you stand up with me? I want to close here because we can't go any further this morning. That was a lot of information. But this morning, I want to pray that once again we be filled with a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit and fire.
because Jesus wants the mountains before us to be leveled, right? He's saying, speak grace, grace to the mountains. And it is not ourselves that are going to move these mountains. Your circumstances in your life, you can't do anything about them, right? The Holy Spirit wants to intervene in your life. So as they play, pray, play, we're going to all close our eyes. And I just want to welcome you to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you, to breathe on you, that the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit would be imparted to you. His wisdom, his understanding, his counsel, his might, his knowledge, the fear of the Lord. So thank you, Holy Spirit. We're standing here in your presence. And we are asking you this morning, this afternoon, to fill us afresh with all of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Set us on fire, God. Let us burn in your presence. Fullness of the Holy Spirit, God. Just like you breathed on those disciples, Jesus. There are those in here represented in the throne room as your new covenant people. And you promised us that you would give us the Holy Spirit in fullness. So today, this morning, we are asking you to fill us once again. but I feel like we need to make a response. So if you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite you to come up and I'm going to ask those who are ready to pray to come up and we are going to anoint you with oil to receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's respond to the word this morning.